Let's stand for the reading of God's word. I've got an interesting message and unique one, unlike anything God's laid on my heart of late to share with you this morning, but I must share it because it speaks to me and speaks to all of us. And it's from the book of Exodus, chapter number 30. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Lord said to Moses, make a bronze wash basin with a bronze stand. Place it between the tabernacle and the altar and fill it with water. Aaron and his sons will wash their hands and feet there. Okay, those are the priesthood. They must wash with water whenever they go into the tabernacle to appear before the Lord. And when they approach the altar to burn up their special gifts to the Lord, in other words, offerings that are made on the altar, or they will die. So washing is essential to come into the presence of the Lord. Tonight we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the meal that heals. And uh, this is, as I looked at this, I said, why are you having me preach this? Because it's going to be leading to what I want to do tonight at my table. And they dovetail together. Okay, I get it. I, I missed the point. He has to remind me every now and then what that is. Then Exodus 38. Bezalel made the bronze wash basin. This is now talking about the construction of the elements that were in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the tent of meeting before the temple where the Spirit of the Lord dwelled in the Holy of Holies and hovered over the Ark of the Covenant between the two archangels, or rather between the two angels, the two cherubim that hovered over the uh, Ark of the Covenant. So these elements were made by craftsmen that God's Spirit gave them the ability to create. He gave them special abilities. Bezalel was one of them. He made the bronze wash basin. That's what Aaron and the priesthood had to go wash in daily. And the bronze stand from bronze mirrors donated by the women who served at the entrance of the tabernacle. Amazing how that all fit together, huh? So, Father, thank you for the word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As I was preparing this message on the tabernacle, thinking about this, and the various elements and all the significance every element has. Sometimes we see these details and wonder, well, what was that about? You know, well, that's kind of cool. He had these beautiful things that they put in there. Every one of them was a type and shadow of realities that would manifest in the New Testament that we have in our relationship to God through his son, Jesus. And none of these were put in there by accident. Every one of them was a teaching tool so that the people could comprehend with word pictures what God was like. And I was preparing this, and I was thinking about the mirrors that these ladies donated made out of bronze so that the skilled craftsmen could form this basin. I couldn't help but remember the song by Michael Jackson, the song entitled The Man in the Mirror. It said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a change in my life, and it's going to feel real good. Hmm. And he'll change his ways, yeah. 
And the song says, going to make a difference, going to make it right. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. So if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and then make a change. And that's what this labor, this particular vessel was designed to do. Not only to wash, but to make change. So we look at the tabernacle and we see that the bronze labor is, is the place of cleansing on their way into the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you want to have an encounter with God, you've got to stop at the bronze laver. And remember, our goal is to reach the Ark of the Covenant, to get to the very place where the presence of the Holy Spirit is residing. I need an encounter with God when I step together into the family of God, the temple of God, the presence of God, the church, when we gather on Sunday. Now, one of the problems we do have in our culture is we try to shift gears so rapidly from the secular to the sacred that we make very little time for anything in between. And we come right out of the secular world, which we've kind of isolated and pigeonholed and kind of where it's what we're doing, our thing. Then we show up on Sunday to kind of do his thing. Then we go back to doing our thing. And none of that is the way God wants us to live our lives. Our goal is to reach into his presence and to carry that presence with us wherever we are. For now, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So many people want to come to church and to move directly into the presence of the Lord with no steps in between. But God's given us specific steps in order to get into his presence, and he's given us a pattern for any miracle, any answer to prayer that we expect from him when we encounter his presence. The labor was made of brass, and it was very shiny. It was used for mirrors in that day. It was made from the brass mirrors that the women contributed to the event of the building of the tabernacle. And it was specifically made so you could wash your hands and your feet. That's how large it was in it. And the point was, so you could look at yourself and judge yourself to make sure that physically you were clean. Judge yourself. Paul in the New Testament gives us the other flip fulfillment of this picture So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. That's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. So the principle stays the same. The The way it's implemented in the Old and New Covenants was different, but the principle was the same. We are to examine ourselves when we come to the presence of the Lord. And we are are called to gather ourselves specifically at the table of the Lord. Now, all sinners went to the brazen altar for forgiveness of sin. That's what it was done. Sacrifices were made. But only the priests could go to the laver. Only the priests. Only the priests could go all the way into the Holy of Holies in that day. Thank God that's changed. Our goal is to go all the way in with him into the Holy of Holies. You and I are the priests of our day. You are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Then he says, 
but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So even though the brazen altar was the first piece of furniture in the outer court, the bronze laver was the first place the priest had to go in order to be cleansed. And God gave us this pattern so we too could enter into his presence, that we just don't show up out of a secularized culture and way of doing life, which we should not be caught up and squeezed into, but often that is the case, and then try to force our way into the presence of the Lord. So nothing is impossible if we can get into his presence. So how do we do this? How do we achieve this? How are we going to have the move of God that brings spiritual reformation to us individually and then collectively as the church so we can have impact for spiritual reformation in our culture? It's in his presence that disease melts away, where redeeming love melts our stone-cold hearts and we are freed from our sins. It's in his presence. I remember in our first church in Chicago, interesting because we had a lot of former practicing Catholics in that church. And I, I was very curious because I was raised in a, a very thoroughly Pentecostal church, and I didn't see much of this, but I did in Chicago among the Pentecostals that were there. They were Pentecostal, spirit-filled people, but they would get to church, and before they'd take their seat, they'd, go, they'd come to the altar and they would pray before the service. You remember some of them? They would come, especially on Sunday night. They would come in early, and they would be at the altar praying before we began the service. And they would be seeking the Lord. It was preparing themselves for the move of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, wow, you know, we could learn some things sometimes. We paid a little better attention to some of the practices some of the people have had. Now, it might have been ritual in their past, but now this was practice now. This was reality. They wanted to be prepared spiritually. They wanted their hearts right before they took their seat and before they entered into worship. They wanted to know that everything was right between them and the Lord. And so before service began, they were there preparing themselves. The labor was the place where the priest would recognize his own failures and ask God for cleansing. It was the place the priest would want to go so that any offense that he carried or any bitterness that he carried could be washed symbolically in the labor, but spiritually that's what we're supposed to be doing in our hearts because what happens when we carry bitterness into the presence of God? We carry unforgiveness into the presence of God. We carry a chip on our shoulder into the presence of God. We're putting ourselves in harm's way. We're harming ourselves. And often offended people are displaying and immaturity spiritually because they haven't yet developed to the point where they can get hold of those kinds of things and deal with them as the Lord has required us in the Scripture and gives us exactly the way in which they should be dealt with. In fact, the Scripture says, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. So we're protective of one another. Then he says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine you have learned, and avoid them. In other words, don't get contaminated by hanging out with people who do those kinds of things. 
So no matter who we are, we all have experienced injustice in our lives. There's no way you can get through life without experiencing that. We've all been hurt by somebody in the past, but we must not go any further in our lives until we learn to deal with offense. We have to look at the man in the mirror. Have I offended anybody? Have I been offended? Have I refused to go to that person and be reconciled and have clarification like the scripture tells me to do? Have I made the mistake of listening to someone else's complaint who's been offended and now I've taken up their offense? Oh my. And now you're carrying the offense of another person that you were never directly offended by. John Bevere's book, Bait of Satan, covers that. And that teaching is intense and it's important and it needs to be taught in the body of Christ because the, the Greek word there is scandalon. The offense is scandalon. It's a, it's a baited trap. So the enemy sets that trap of offense and invites you in to, to, to take, partake of that offense and the next thing you know, he snaps the trap and you're caught in the bitterness of that offense damaging you. Jesus said it will corrupt your heart. Remember in his presence, his fullness of joy. Until you get some of the junk out of there, you're not going to enjoy the presence of the Lord. We should, we should be celebratory people because of the joy of the Lord. And if you want the joy of the Lord in life, you have to forgive people that sometimes you don't even want to forgive. You know, I don't want to do that. Well, we do that because that's what God has asked us to do. I'm grateful he doesn't take that attitude toward us. Hmm. One of God's primary prerequisites to getting into the Holy of Holies was to deal with issues at the bronze laver. Jesus said, if you don't forgive others from your heart, your heavenly Father won't forgive you. If you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I don't know about you, but that's a serious, serious statement right there. Now you talk about an unpardonable sin, if I will harbor unforgiveness, then God's not going to forgive me. It's all at the labor that we have to admit our guilt and seek his forgiveness. That's what the priests had to do because if they weren't careful to wash properly, they wouldn't survive in the presence of the Lord. So even if you don't trust somebody, you still have to forgive them and release the issues before you can get into the presence of God and experience his fullness. The bronze labor was about God's people saying, Lord, I know I'm not what I should be. I know I need forgiveness in my life. I'm going to release forgiveness to others because I need you to forgive me. And who am I not to forgive when you have forgiven me? Cleanse me now. Help me to be what you want me to be. And anytime we look at God's holiness, it causes us to see our own unworthiness. Anytime we look at a holy God, we're reminded of how desperately we need his cleaning and his cleansing in our lives. It's time for each of us to take a good look at the man in the mirror. Because the floors of the tabernacle were bare ground, the priest would have to go to that laver frequently because the dirt and the dust would collect on his feet. So not only did his hands have to be washed and his body washed, but all of his feet had to be washed. When we give our lives to the Lord, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, amen, no matter where our feet have taken us. But it's difficult to stay clean even after we've been washed. 
There are places that God wants to take us, but he can't unless we're clean. You see, holiness and the power of the Holy Spirit are so intricately connected. They are joined together. We claim we want the power and presence of the Lord, but there's a prerequisite to that. There needs to be holiness restored in us. There are miracles God wants to give us, but he can't until we've been cleansed. There are healings he wants to release to us, but he can't until we're cleansed. There there are blessings he wants to bestow on his people, but until there's cleansing, they will not be released. So take a look in the mirror. I love what John said. He said, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Remember a lady I had some encounter with when she shared a little bit of her story And she told me, in my past, I had an abortion. And at the time, I thought, well, that's the best thing for me to do. And then afterward, I suffered such serious regret. She said, for 20 years after that, I would dream almost daily about this beautiful little girl playing with long, dark hair. He said, I dreamed that dream over and over and over and over and over. I was tormented by my guilt of what I had done. But when I confessed my sin to God, I'm grateful God forgives us no matter what we've done. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. That when I confessed my sin to God, and then I shared my failure with trusted friends, You know, the scripture says in James, we are to confess our faults, not just to God, but to one another, so that we can be what? Healed. Yeah. We threw that baby out with the bathwater too, in, in many of our Protestant circles. But there's a purpose for that, and there is a need for that in the body of Christ. And when I did that, she said, God brought healing to me, and he brought a sense of satisfaction to me. And then gave me joy in knowing that even though I had made such a hideous error in choice, that my little girl was safe with him forever and had grown into a fine young lady in the heavenlies to become all God wanted her to be. So no matter who you are or what you've done, we want you to know we're not here to judge you. That's not our job, right? And, and, and I'm going to take a sidebar here for just a second. I've got a couple more moments. Every generation has its hot-button issues, and ours is the judge word. We have, a, we have our own word. In the Bible, the task of speaking to world events as well as into our culture sometimes brings turmoil, right? And there used to be a time in our country when some of the most beloved verses of Scripture were John 3.16 or the 23rd Psalm. No matter who you talk to, just about everybody understood those passages. Now the unbeliever's favorite verse is Matthew 7, 1. They may not understand the reference or even the gospel that comes from or the context in which those words were spoken. They may not even know that it was Jesus himself who made the statement. And they just happen to like it or at least 
what they think it says. Because the words Jesus spoke were these, judge not lest you be judged. And that's usually quoted about the time that you say something they consider to be judgmental. The response is usually pretty heated. Who are you to judge me? Doesn't the Bible say, judge not lest you be judged? Well, the verse isn't saying we shouldn't judge. We are to inspect the product of what's coming out of what someone calls their Christian faith. The word judge there in the English translation is not the context with which it was written. That word actually from the Greek is condemn, condemn not. In other words, we don't get to pronounce sentence on anybody. Only God is reserved the right to pronounce the sentence. But uh, unfortunately, the word judge has been misused in our culture to get away with anything and everything anybody wants to do. Everybody has a right to their opinion in our world today, except those of us who hold a biblical worldview. They would rather we go away quietly and never express our opinion of what God's Word says. A typical statement of a person with a non-biblical worldview in our world will say, all religions essentially teach the same thing. Actually, they don't. And a person who says that reveals really ignorance of the matter and of Scripture. There is a living God. He has revealed himself in the Scriptures. That's who he is, not by someone's interpretation of him. And as Christians, we believe that absolute truth comes from this living God and him alone. We do not seek to conform and accommodate the unchanging truths of Scripture into a changing culture. We don't do that, but rather we seek that our culture experience change because of what the Scripture teaches us. So judge is not an accurate word. Judge means, yes, we do look at, we do examine the fruit. But we're not here to condemn anybody. We're not here to pronounce sentence on anybody. We are here to tell you that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, no matter how dastardly the deed. Take a look at the man in the mirror. James said, if you listen to the word and don't obey... It's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Our goal is to go all the way into the Holy of Holies to experience renewal and a great reformation in our country. And we are forgiven as soon as we give our lives to the Lord, yes. Then he begins the work of reconciliation. He begins cleaning us up, setting us apart for his service because it's so difficult to stay clean We need to continuously be washed. And God wants to use us. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. You see, the glory of God wants to reside in a cleansed vessel. God says in Joshua 3 and 5 that if we sanctify ourselves today... God will do wonders among us tomorrow. So we need to cleanse first. Then God's going to act. 
And if you need a miracle like, like I do, you've got to look in the mirror. If you want God to do something in your life, you can't be smoking weed and using drugs and sleeping around and think, God's going to bless me. We all have to stop at the bronze laver and look in the mirror. We have to judge ourselves so we can, so he can do the things in us that he's never been able to do yet through us. Great strength comes into our lives when we're willing to go all the way with him, when we look in the mirror and judge ourselves and allow him to cleanse us spiritually and morally, we become polluted in this contaminated world, don't we? It's hard to get that stuff off. Our flesh always seeks for pleasure and our minds are continuously in need of cleansing. That's why we continually go to him and judge ourselves. We need to stop at the labor for forgiveness every single day. That's why they did that. They were giving us a picture of what we're supposed to do. The priests of old stood before the bronze laver. They washed in that sacred water and they checked for any impurities that they would have anywhere on them because it was dangerous to walk into God's presence with any impurity. The point was to stand there looking in the mirror, searching to find anything that was displeasing to God. We are to search our hearts from the word of God every single day and wash ourselves. God will love you no matter what you do, but when you look in the mirror, you put yourself in a position to be blessed by God. I not only want to be loved by him, I want to be blessed and favored by him. And the point of the labor was self-examination. That's why Paul said if we would judge ourselves, God wouldn't have to. So humble yourselves, James writes, before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Bible says to be subject to God, to resist when the enemy comes attacking us, and he'll leave. In other words, before the enemy will flee we have, from our lives, we have to be fully submitted to the Lord. You will never see breakthrough the way God wants you to have breakthrough until you look in the mirror. How badly do you want to get into the Holy of Holies? How badly do you want to see breakthrough in your personal life, in your finances, in your health, in your family, for your unsaved and lost loved ones? How badly do you want to see America, America return to godliness again and to love for one another again? How badly do you need a miracle? Are you willing to walk away from someone you're dating because you know they're not serving God and I don't need that in my life? Are you willing to make sacrifices today in order to have God's best for your tomorrow. If you're not willing to look in the mirror, you're never going to get into the Holy of Holies. If you're not willing to make sacrifices to the Lord today, you'll never get into the most holy place with God where he wants to take you. It's an amazing place when you get there. But that's why there was an altar first. That's why there was a labor to wash in first. You know, Burger King has the slogan that says, have it your way. The kingdom of God is not Burger King. I said, the kingdom of God is not Burger King. Okay? May I say to you, you can't not have it your way if you want to step into the Holy of Holies in the presence of God. If you expect a move of God in your life, it's not okay to shack up, it's not okay to hang around the clubs. It's not okay to sweep your sin under the rug. Take a look in the mirror. 
Years ago, there was a baseball player named Pete Rose. Some of you may remember that name. I had the privilege of watching him play several times when he played for the big red machine, the Cincinnati Reds. Dad had some boxes at Shea Stadium during playoffs, and we went down to New York and watched some of the playoffs that Pete was in. And I'll never forget, oh my goodness, one of the games we were in, we, 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 we got out of there at the end of that game because, you know, Pete was a rather uh, feisty little guy, I might say. And uh, he attacked the shortstop, uh, or rather the second baseman for the Mets. And uh, there was a big brawl on the field. And then there was uh, craziness in the seats and everything else went up for grabs in that place. It was a nightmare. Anyway, Pete, Pete was a great ball player. You could never take that away from him. He had more records than you can count. But in 87, he began to bait, the bet rather, place bets on baseball, which was against all league rules. And even though he was a world-class baseball player and manager, he never stopped to consider there are going to be consequences for this. And even Pete Rose admitted, I was out of control in my life, and I never stopped to take a look in the mirror. His Hall of Fame entrance was aborted because of the consequences of betting on baseball. He never once stopped long enough to look at himself to see, is there something I need to change? Do I have to modify here? He even at times considered himself, I'm a victim. They're picking on me, and that's what we'll do many times when the consequence is on us. We did it to ourselves, but we're trying to divert blame to everything and everybody else. Don't be a blamer. Take responsibility. I like what David did in his prayer. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night against you, and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. And God loves that heart. The moment you pray words like that from your heart, God's attention is focused on you. If you want to go into the Holy of Holies, you've got to stop blaming other people. If you want God to bring a breakthrough in your life, you've got to judge yourself and take a good look at the man in the mirror, which basically comes down to this. God, you were right, and I'm wrong. The labor is the place where the priest washed himself daily. It's a picture of how the Lord will wash away our sins daily. We come to him like that. It's a picture of how we're to wash ourselves in the water of the word that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. The bronze, you see, the word of God, that's, it, it just holds up the mirror right here and says, are you living like this? Ooh, okay, yeah. The bronze labor is also a picture of water baptism. Water baptism is a symbol of our past being buried under the water and we're resurrected into new life in Christ. Anytime someone's baptized, they're proclaiming they're not ashamed to be a part of the family of God. Water baptism is important because Jesus commanded us to be baptized in his name. It's important because it declares our faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's important because it symbolizes the death of an old life and announces our new life in Jesus. Water baptism is a public way for us to proclaim we've died to our past. It's a public way for us to say that, that, that through, we're through with our old way of doing life. 
old things have passed away. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. All things have become new. So if you haven't been water baptized, you ought to get in line for tonight and say, I'm going to be water baptized because I'm looking in the mirror and Jesus said, I told you to do this. Yes, sir. Water baptism doesn't make you a member of God's family, but faith in Jesus Christ does. But water baptism shows your obedience to be a part of God's eternal family. It's about a new beginning. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And when God opened the Red Sea and they crossed over, when Israel was leaving Egypt, it was a picture of water baptism, new beginnings. When God closed the Red Sea on the Egyptians, it was a picture of him washing our sins away and protecting us from our adversaries. My enemies came at me one way. The Lord will cause your enemies who are rising against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. He is my ever-present help. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Before the week's over, there will be trouble. When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, the blood of the Passover lamb set them free. Today we have the divine blood of the lamb, Jesus the Christ. There's power in Jesus' blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And when nothing else could help, his blood washed me. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I'm so glad he stopped me at the bronze laver because it's all about Jesus the Christ, Alpha and Omega, pictured in that tabernacle, in that tent of meeting, at every stop, He's depicted and revealed. And then in the book of Revelation, you get the fullness of who he is. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I'm the one who is, who always was, who's still to come, the Almighty One. By his blood, we get to start over. If I confess my sin. He's faithful. He's just. Thank you, Lord. Aren't you grateful for his mercy to cleanse me from all unrighteousness? And they overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. God isn't mad at us. He brought us here to make change in our lives. 
for our good, for our betterment, so that we would achieve the goodwill he had for us from the beginning of creation and not flail around in our failures and our sins and our bad choices that bring down great consequence on us. My friend Donnie Moore used to say that in his preaching all the time. God's not mad at you. How do you pray to a God who's angry with you? How do you have confidence to walk into the presence of a God who you think is going to crush you? When you realize God loves us, and you walk in, and yea, he may be disappointed in what I've done, but he still loves me, and he will welcome me, amen, to restore me, to go and sin no more, to have his strength to be able to live the way he wants me to live. He's not mad at us. He brings us into his presence to make change in us. And it's going to feel really good. <laughs> Dave Reaver told a story about General Robbie Reisner accompanying him back to Hanoi to the Hilton where General Reisner spent. He was the longest one of the, not the longest, but one of the longest ever to have stayed there and be tortured. I remember I had him here to speak, and I said, Robbie, how did you ever keep your sanity? How did you do that when they were pulling your arms out of the sockets, dislodging you, and tying you to a bed in positions that excruciating and painful? He said, God's word. Dave said when they walked out of that Hanoi Hilton place of torture and horror for Robbie all those years, now free, of course, and he uttered to Dave, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, free at last. Yeah, That's what Jesus has come to do for us, amen? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. We feel good because we have finally got freedom. He makes the difference. He makes it right. He brings justification. And it starts by looking at the man in the mirror. Hmm. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. And I'm asking him to change his ways. You want to make the world a better place, Calvary Christian Center. Take a good look at yourself and then make a change. Um, I, I'm, don't do that with God. We never arrived there where I'm okay. We, we haven't arrived. And if, and if I, sometimes he has to give you a, a mirror that magnifies. So the thing that you can't see anymore because you're kind of fuzzy-eyed, he blows it up and says, look at this. You see this? 
Let's put some concealer on that today. Okay. Yeah. okay. So I never look in the mirror without finding something that needs to be corrected, changed, eliminated, so that I can step into his presence and feel the smile on his face. He's here. He's examining our hearts. And what is he doing? He's trying to draw us to the forgiving love of our Father and Creator. And when I step before him, even though I may feel crushed, and the only crushing is because of my own failures, I kneel at his feet and say, Lord, help me to make the change. Use me for your glory, not my will. Let it be your will that's done. That's all I care about, that your will gets done, because this is your kingdom. And you're the king, and we want what you want to get done. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand together. Celebrate Jesus for a minute.